love announcements. You always feel like you get a good takeaway of what everybody's doing in their lives, um, specifically for the holidays. Kaylin is leaving. Michelle's going to Oxford. Who else wants to do announcements to fill us in where you're going? It'll be fun. We'll miss you guys deeply while you're gone. Well, I'm excited to be here. I feel like I'm in a tunnel. Maybe too loud coming out here, but if we can work on that. Well, welcome to church. Second service. Bennett's happy. That's all I need. <laughs> no. um, how many enjoyed the Eifler sermon last Sunday if you were here? Come on. So good, so good, so good. I am um, particularly fond of it because I didn't have to preach it. It's always, it's always good when people hear from the Lord. Um, yeah, it's encouraging. Um, snowstorm last night, yeah? Fun, not fun? I mean, how's everybody feeling about it? I kind of like it. It's, you know, it looks good out there. Well, we're in Advent, aren't we? We're in the chaos of Christmas. The craziness, the fast pace of gift giving, gift buying, internet shopping, family and friends. It's a glorious time, but it's a very busy time of the year. And, um, you know, in thinking about Advent, I was, um, I was going over in my mind different sermons, different books, and uh, different things that I've read on this particular season, and I couldn't help but notice just the absence of reality, <laughs> that, that some of our books and stories, and even some of our service have, with connecting us, services meaning church services, with connecting us to the realness of Jesus' birth. It's kind of like, you know, the story of David and Goliath, where in the children's books, it's all prim and proper. You don't see David lop off Goliath's head. That's just too nasty, right, for children? But in the Bible, you get that vividly, you know, that David was not messing around. It wasn't enough just to hit him between the eyes with a stone. He was going to lop that puppy's head off. It's funny, right? But I feel as though uh, the manger... Uh, the, the, the story of Christ's birth that we see illustrated in children's books that we celebrate in this season kind of miss. They fail to prepare us for the realness of Jesus' birth. The, the scene of the biblical Christmas has, in a sense, been hijacked. It, its narrative falls short of giving us the true feel and the true meaning of Christmas. Would you agree? The, the biblical depiction of the birth of Christ has all the feel of an undesired, desperate homelessness. Something you would see under a bridge in a major city rather than under your tree December 25th when you wake up, hopefully, if you've been not naughty and nice. Sorry. I mean, after all, guys, I mean, Christ was born in a stable. My uncle owned a farm about two years ago, and uh, not two years ago. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm being far too kind to myself. It was like 20 years ago. <laughs> and we, we got the privilege as kids to stop by there and kind of check it out. And he had all the cows, sheep, and pigs, and all those types of things. And the stench was just overwhelming. And 
the, the constant busyness of keeping things clean and moving and milking and, forgive me for this, but shoveling manure and it's just messy. But yet this is what we see in the story of the birth of Christ. We see the Son of God, the King of Kings, born in a stable, placed in a feeding trough. And that just, that just barely touches the realness I mean, we see like in books that glow around Mary, right? There's just like this heavenly glow and a glow around baby Jesus. Do you think it was anything like that? Do you think that there was actually a glow? I'm sure Mary was worn and tired and fatigued, maybe. I mean, we'll stop there. But there's no heavenly glow around Mary. There's no heavenly glow around Jesus. Matter of fact, Isaiah, the prophet, prophesied that there was nothing especially beautiful about Jesus at all. Some of you, that's new news. When John preached, it was really new news, and some of you were offended that maybe Jesus wasn't attractive, but it's true that Isaiah said that there was no beauty that we, of Jesus that we would desire him. And so he's not even good-looking. You know, as a father, I know what that's like for your son to come out like a little like, whoa, did I just, what happened? I won't even get into explaining it. But luckily, he turned into a handsome young feller. But when he, when he was born, I was like, whoa, Jesus, that's not my child. No, I'm just kidding. But, but there's nothing in the, the childhood books, in the movies, and even the services that suggests the mystery of who this child is in all seriousness. And so that begs the question, why is this important? Why should it matter? Why should we today care about the birth of Christ? I think in short and very simple that the answer to that question is broad and and somewhat complex, but in it's just true simplicity and maybe in its childlikeness, we see that the virgin birth implies humanity's need for redemption, doesn't it? I mean, God intervened that day. God did something. He saw Something that man could not provide for themselves. And that was their own redemption. Somebody can give God thanks this morning that he did that. Because, you know, prior to Christ doing that, prior to God doing that and sending his son, we were hopeless. We were alienated. We lived in darkness until God decided to clothe himself in flesh. So the virgin birth implies humanity's need for redemption. That's a bit offensive because there's a lot of arguments that exist in our culture that that kind of state that man can redeem himself, that we are, in a sense, gods. And we can, through self-helps, bring the answer to our problems and depravity. But that's not the way God sees it. Humanity couldn't bring about redemption for itself. The human race couldn't produce its own redeemer due to its sin and guilt. Yes, it's real. You cannot get away from it. Sin and guilt. Those words of which we cringe at. Here he goes again. But let me just say this. This should give us great hope that we were sinful and guilty. But God. But God had the final say. The fact that God provided redemption from without via His Son is profound. 
The fact that our Savior came from without and not from within is remarkable. My question to you this morning, is it profound and is it remarkable? Because I think just as our traditions of Advent don't really capture or fail to really give us a sense of the realness of the birth of Christ, I feel like in addition to that, we've come very familiar with a glorious truth, a glorious story. It's called man's redemption. The birth of Christ puts God's initiative of redemption on display. The birth of Christ gives great meaning to a a, a great verse that has lost its meaning in the sense it's lost its connection to our emotions and it, it's lost uh, in us the sense of awe over this truth is that God so loved the world. He loved the world. It's more than just a bumper sticker. It's remarkable that God decisively chose to send his son to redeem the world for their sin so that none would perish, but all would have everlasting life. Friend, that is a, that, that is a reason to get our butts in church and celebrate Jesus. We'll get there. You know, I thought about this a little bit when Luke 131, where Mary finds out from the angel what's going to take place with her conceiving Jesus. And the thing that I saw remarkable in verse 31 of Luke chapter 1 is that the angel didn't ask for Mary's permission. I don't, I don't know if you've ever noticed that. The angel didn't acquire about her willingness. He announced to Mary and saying, Behold, you will. You will conceive a child and you shall call him Jesus. Now, when we think about that deeply, I guess, for lack of better words, our minds can just wonder. But for me, this points to the decisive act of God to save his people from their sins. You will, Mary, birth a child. You will. I'm going to redeem humanity through this child. That moves my heart. Does it move yours this morning? This is what makes the gospel uh, such good news. Yes, it is good news that Jesus died for our sins and raised himself from the grave. But it, all, it is also good news that God decisively acted in Luke 1.31 in sending His Son to save us. I love Luke 2, chapter 10 through 11. Fear not. These are the angels talking to the shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news. Good news of great joy. Put a smile on your face, people. Put a smile on your face. 
Doesn't matter how good I'm preaching, if I'm saying all the right words to stir your minds. This is good news. And this good news creates a great joy. For all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is no ordinary child. This is no ordinary birth. This is the coming of God Himself in human flesh. Are you listening this morning? God clothed Himself. What God does this? What God takes on the frame of a man to save man. You ask me why I'm yelling, sorry, come by it naturally. But my heart leaps and my voice leaps <laughs> at, at this good news. I guess it would be nice if there was something else, right? If there's something that we could add on to this good news to make us full of joy. We, we kind of treat our faith like that, right? You know, yeah, I'll lift my hands, man, if the worship's good. Yeah, I'll open my mouth and pray if others are praying. We, we wait for all these things to kind of initiate affection for Jesus. When right here is enough for our hearts to burst with emotion for Jesus. We don't need good music. We don't need good preaching. It's good when it happens. We don't need good prayer meetings. We already have a good news. And this good news should create great joy. That's why Sunday should be some of the best times. Best times of the week. For some, it is. For others, it's hard to listen to that clock and get out of bed. And come and rejoice. But I don't know. This fuels my excitement. You understand the most important announcement. Of the most important arrival. In the history of the world. Was made in Luke chapter 2. You understand the gravity. Are, are, are we just that far gone? And we need Advent. We need this month. This day of the year. To just bring it all in. I'm telling you, there should be a thought that comes into our minds at all times. This is God's in-person rescue of His people. His in-person rescue. He's not sending somebody else. He's coming Himself. God! You know, I can't help but to think... That we treat the story of Christ's birth as just an ordinary, yeah, we've heard it before, kind of thing. And the truth is, this story is anything but ordinary. It's extraordinary. And there's a danger. There's a lot at risk when you start handling the things of God just as ordinary, consequential things. These are decisive acts. That are meant to stir within us affection for Jesus. This is far too glorious of a truth of a story for us to contain to only one day of celebration. 
even the month of December falls short of capturing the glory of the time God dressed himself in human flesh to save the world. And all the while, we're more impressed with iPhone X. That's the right word for it. I don't know. I'm pretty impressed by it too. (laughs) And the latest sitcoms and who's posting what and what Insta stories out there. God himself dressed himself in human flesh for one cause, one purpose only, to save his people. The truth is we were never meant to reduce or to lose sight of this day and try to contain it and fit it all in. In a month, this is something that should fuel our Christian faith. It should fuel such joy and excitement and expectation. I love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. He says this, Remember that at one time you Gentiles were without Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul, in saying the word or using the word, remember, this is not a suggestion. He is telling them, In telling them to remember, he is commanding them to do such. I didn't do that right. God, our Paul, is commanding the Ephesians to remember that one day before Christ's arrival, they were without hope. They were alienated. They were strangers to the covenants of the promise. And so... I read this and think, well, yeah, i got to put these things before my mind, always remembering that once I was alienated, I was a stranger, I was without hope. Remembering the hopelessness in the world that was due to Christ's absence is a good thing. And we should, we should remember it much like we would have to remember to brush our teeth and hopefully you value brushing your teeth. (laughs) Sorry. It's the only connection I could make. But Paul doesn't say this as a suggestion. He tells them, he commands them, remember this. Always put this at the forefront of your mind. Treating the birth of Christ as anything other than supernatural, anything other than an act of God's decisive plan for redeeming mankind, when we knowingly or unknowingly make in our hearts the birth of Christ ordinary or less important than it really is, we lose sight of that which makes us cherish our forgiveness most. We lose what makes us love Christ more intensely we lose that which makes us feel the wonder of our justification by faith. Do you hear me? There's a lot at risk when you treat the extraordinary as ordinary. And if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, you will find yourself on the fast road to lukewarmness. He's preaching hard for December 10th. It's so close to Christmas. I'm sorry. But this, this, is, this is sobering. 
This is sobering. You know why people are disgruntled with the traditions of the church? Because it lacks reality. It, it, it lacks the, the extraordinary events, the conviction of those events. Because it reduces them to a day like Easter where everybody goes to church. But yet after Easter, what happens? We have to remember these things. Much is at risk. Matter matter of fact, I think treating the extraordinary as ordinary in regards to God... There's dangerous things at stake. Our hearts, they get hardened. And they don't feel that emotional connection to God's word. They don't feel that emotional connection to forgiveness, the forgiveness of their sin. They've lost that connection to cherish and love Christ intensely. So what's at risk? Well, let me start by saying our joy is at risk. Our joy is at risk. Remember the scripture verse in Luke 2, I think it's 12 and 10. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. When you lose sight of the good news, you lose your joy. Because that good news that you're losing sight of, was meant to fuel Christian joy in your heart so that you don't need good music, you don't need good preaching, you don't need a good week, a good day, a good minute. You just need to be connected that you serve a good God who at a time in history stepped on the stage and gave his son as a payment for your debt. Your sin debt. So joy is at risk when we make the extraordinary ordinary. The birth of Christ is much like the death of Christ. In that it is important and central to Christian joy. It is important and central to Christian joy. You ever wonder why most Christians feel like their lives are on a roller coaster ride where they have moments of joy, moments of depression, moments of sadness, moments of gladness? I believe it's because we lose sight of this. We lose sight of these ancient truths that are meant to fuel joy. That means when there's nothing to pull on, there's nothing to create joy in our hearts, we have these things. That I once was lost. I once was blind. But now I see. Our joy is at risk when we make the extraordinary ordinary. The birth of Christ is much like the death of Christ in that it is important and central to Christian joy. And that joy should fuel our excitement. And that, I guess this, like Ephesians Paul said, we were without hope. We aren't without hope today. You aren't without hope. You're not alienated. You've been engrafted in to the promises and the covenants of God. You're not dead. No, you're alive in Christ. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 11. All of 
I think Romans chapter 5 really captures the heart and tone of my sermon today. And I'd encourage you to read it. But I love 11 and kind of the middle part of the chapter. Paul, in talking about being reconciled to God because of the um, obedience of Christ and his death and resurrection, he, he concludes with saying, we also should rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So, now, I look at this in, in, in connecting the now received reconciliation to the rejoicing in this passage as a means of expression or of something that should well up in my heart that because I've received the reconciliation through or in Christ, my job is to rejoice in the Lord. You know, sadly, we may never come to realize the full scope of what we've been spared from on this side of our lives, on this side of eternity. We may never know the full measure of what God paid for and what God provided for us in his son Jesus. But you know, I think Peter gives us a little, or he, he helps us get close at least a little bit to what that side of eternity looks like when we get before the judgment seat of Christ. In 1 Peter 4, 17 and 18, he says this, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely being saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now, hold up. All right. I know that's a lot of heaviness and judgment and, oh, it's big. It's like epic. But let's just focus on, and if the righteous are scarcely saved. What does that mean? What does that, what does that mean? Because I remember posting this about a couple years ago on my Facebook page, just the verse and wow, what a hornet's nest it stirred up on social media. I mean, it was just a verse. I didn't even give any commentary. I didn't, even, I didn't say anything about it. I just, I just posted it. I just put it out there. I was like, let's think about this. But you know, we got to think about this. The righteous are scarcely saved. That's heavy. That is heavy. What does it mean? Now, I, I did some research. I, I did some looking and some investigating on what Peter means. Essentially, if I could just sum it up for you, what he means is when we get before Christ, when we stand before him, and we give account, we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and whatever happens, whatever takes place, in that moment when we stand before him, somehow we will be astonished, we will be amazed that we made it into heaven. We will be taken just by from, or from whatever exchange happens when we get before Christ. I don't know. The Bible talks about it, but I can't rightly define it or, or you know, make it make sense. But Peter is saying when we get before Christ, we will be astonished, amazed, and yet joyful that we made it in. Whatever happens, I don't know if God just 
shows us the full length of our days, the choices we made to cherish God or to not cherish God. I don't know what happens, but whatever takes place is enough to fill our hearts with amazement that we got in before God into heaven. So I like to think that at that moment, I'll probably be very joyful and amazed, but mainly joyful because I'm amazed I made it in. It's a little heavy for December. It's Christmas. I, re- I watched this instruction video for pastors. <laughs> what, what to do and say on Christmas? We'll stop there. <laughs> Jesus preached some of his most controversial messages when he had the most people around him. So we will be amazed when we get before God. My hope is somehow, some way, that amazement fills my heart now. I know I'm a sinner. Yeah, I'm saved. But I know Daryl Temple. I know my decisions. I know my weakness. I know my nature. And, and somehow I'm hoping not to wait before I get to him to be amazed and full of joy that I made it in. I hope that I'm amazed now on this side so that I can be content so that I can be full in my joy. So going back to Luke 2 in closing, let us not forget about the announcement made from the angels. Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy. We need to connect to why this good news gives us great joy. And I am trying in my best way to convey to you redemption, our redemption, is why we should have great joy. Two things to take away in Luke chapter 2, 10 and 11. That this is our salvation. It has arrived. And what it means for us is great joy, great joy for all people. Maybe, maybe great joy is, is not how I should categorize it or define it, but a consistent joy, a joy that may, remains, a joy like in John 15, Jesus saying, your joy, I want it full. I want it complete where you need nothing. You know how we get to needing nothing? When our joy is fueled by ancient truths, not new expressions. I got three of you. I'll take it. And lastly, and very much connection, connected to joy, is what's at risk is our worship. Our worship is affected. When we make the extraordinary ordinary, We risk losing our desire to worship God because he who has been forgiven much loves much. 
That's Luke 7, 47. So I leave these things with you in this Advent season. And my, my hope is that we as a church, we as a people would, would cleave in a sense to the command of Paul in Ephesians where he says, remember these things. Remember these things. Don't turn them into days. Don't turn them into months. Use them in the every days, the every months, the every weeks, the every minute, the every moment that your heart is in despair. Father, I thank you. Lord, I did my best. And Lord, we trust you to do the rest. It's not by my might. It's not by my presentation, my words. God knows it's not by my words. But it's by your spirit. It's by your power. Lord, I ask God that when we leave this place, these truths would haunt us. (laughs) They would cling to us in our minds that we would always go to them when we need our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.